Hi, everybody. We hope you continue to enjoy your summer or what's left of it. Uh, a lot of kids are going back to college, and um, some kids are going to college for the first time. And uh, to all your you parents out there that are experiencing that for the first time, uh, we wish you the best of luck and the best of luck to your new college students. Um, it really is starting to be the end of summer, if you can believe it. Boy, time flies, doesn't it? Anyways, the episode you are about to hear is actually one of the highlights of this entire show for me, this entire podcast. Michael Eck, uh, I knew of many years ago when I was just a young thespian in the Albany area, and I heard that there's this theater critic, Michael Eck, who... Um, was just uh, just a phenomenal guy, and uh, years later, uh, due to my wife being best friends with his sister, um, I got to know him more and know of him more, and got to see that he has a whole different side of him, which is uh, uh, music and musician and playing and writing music, which he shares two new songs on this episode. So to say that I was just enamored to talk to him um, is is an egregious understatement. Um, I, lo- I, I knew he was a great guy, but after spending time with him for an hour, um, just like, it just, it's like they say, don't meet your heroes. And I totally disagree with that because Mike is just one of the nicest guys I've ever met and just an inspiring guy. And you will hear that. Katie was not feeling well during the during before this episode. She so she doesn't join us here. But um, please enjoy this episode, which has musical uh, interludes in there with Mike sharing two new songs. So sit back, relax, and stay tuned for the next episode uh, that you are about to hear with Michael Eck. Everybody and welcome back to Friends in Real Life. Um, as I promised last week, we are back. We took a small summer hiatus, um, and uh, but we have some wonderful guests uh, lined up for the rest of the summer and into actually now going into the winter, which is like amazing. And tonight, I am absolutely honored to uh, be welcoming Michael Eck. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I have to ask you a question right out of the gate. Yes. Can you say the word hiatus on the internet. I don't know if you can, but I have, and I might have to edit that out. I love so, it. So, Mike, the thing is, when I when I know we were scheduled to go in June, and then we rescheduled, and, like, I was really bummed because I was looking forward to it, but it only brought built up the anticipation because, like, I've been really Woo! looking forward to talking to you for so many reasons. I have so many reasons you probably don't even know about. We have we have a, a, a quote-unquote family connection. Yes, um, I, do. I I've known you. I knew of you before that family connection because of theater. Um, and so like, I, I'm going to try to steer to all the different ports tonight. Um, and the first thing I'm going to talk about is there are many people listening that you've, you've probably now shared this podcast with after it's post edited, uh, that know your reputation, know your talent, 
know how involved you are with like so many different things and always have done it, you know, with, with such, um, you know, a plum. Um, no one but, wanted by the FBI. Well, I know. Well, that, you know, that has to do with the hiatus edit. I'll put that in the edit. Uh, gotcha. Right. So, so the first thing I want to say is like you, you know, first and foremost, um, you really are, um, you know, an artist in your own right, right? You, you're a musician. Um, I've seen you play. Um, and um, like to the point where after I saw you play, I listened to some of your guys' music uh, afterwards. And, you, and you've been involved in different bands. And um, is it, correct me if I'm wrong, is the Jug Stompers one of them was? Uh, the Jug Stompers was one of them. Our one wonderful of them. member Greg Haynes passed in 2019. Yes. And so we haven't resumed since then. One right. of our members, Bowtie, the banjo player, is now playing with me full-time in a group I'm involved with called Lost Radio Rounders. Lost Radio Rounders have been around since 2009. He's joined up with them, so it's wonderful to keep that going on. That That's fantastic. So I did see the Jug Stompers with Greg, and that was such a sad passing for so many reasons. And um, But but I want to go, like, I'm, you know, pretend like, you know, this is your life, you know? <laughs> Do you remember it? Do you remember this boy? No. But um, what... You know, from a young age, what um, got you um, interested in music, you know, to begin with? What was your, how did you, yeah. You know, I think I can honestly say, Jeff, I don't remember a time not being interested in music. Um, yep. My brother Billy, who passed in 21, yes, um, while I was in the hospital, he used right. to play 45s in the back of the car while country music radio would be coming from the front of the car, we had a battery operated turntable and we yes. had bags of singles and Billy would play both sides. And yep. so that idea of all this music happening at once was just thrilling to me. Um, but from the age of five on maybe, I just remember really loving music. And when I was a teenager, I bought my own first record player when I was 13 and then just went crazy. By the time I was 18, my father said I was cracking the ceiling beneath my room with my record collection. Um, <laughs> I played my first gig when I was 18. It's just been a constant for me throughout. I don't come from a musical family. I come from a wonderful family. You know my right. sister, Jeff. Yeah. Um, but I'm the only musician in the family. My daughter plays, but in, in my personal, you know, nuclear family, I'm the only person. But it's just, there's never been a time that it hasn't thrilled me. And now in this digital age where we can sort of determine our own, let's say, radio station by picking things on the internet, yeah. Oh my God, I just love it. I love music as much as I ever have. Isn't that great that now, like, you know, whether it's YouTube or, or Spotify or whatever it is, you can kind of like, it's literally on-demand music and discovery. You can discover new music. It's crazy. I'm going to cut to the chase on this very quick. I had yeah. a stroke in February of 2021. Right. Um, it's totally affected my life. The bands are driving me to gigs. They're bringing chairs for me. My family yeah. is so amazing. But in the hospital, I was in the hospital for a month, Jeff. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, Watertown. Oh, beautiful. Marty Robbins, Gunfighter Ballads. You could just pick this stuff and listen to it. God, it was beautiful. It was so well, nice to end there in that way. And and as you said, you did have this stroke in February 21. Was music, not to sound cliche, and I'm really not trying to, but was music part of the healing process? I think it still is. Um, I've been really involved with uh, some songwriting classes and groups. Now, I've yes. written plenty of songs over the years, as you know. I know. Put out four records. I'm actually getting ready to put out a fifth. Um, wow. And new songs written in the past year or so. 
but especially my great friend Stephen Claren Beak in New York through invitation things with him through classes with him I get these prompts sometimes it's two words sometimes it's this developed multi-level thing yeah um, but so writing the music has been a real good therapy for the mind and the hands playing yes. games with lost radio rounders with good things another true I'm involved with has been great for the hands so I do think music has been key to my stepping forward in that time that that's that's fantastic um I'm gonna stay in the music realm for a second Please um, do. You, you said at 13 you brought your you bought your first uh, record play do you remember your first record the first record I bought after I bought the turntable was Steely Dan's Asia because it was supposed to be so great sounding. Right. It's yes. cheesy $78 stereo. It still sounded pretty good. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm not the world's biggest fan being a snarky music critic. I can say right. plenty of bad things, but it's a pretty great record. Um, believe it or not, the first 45 I bought was Daybreak by Barry Manilow. <laughs> oh, wow. No, no, I yeah. get it. I get now, it. The very first album I purchased before yeah. I bought that stereo. Um, I bought a lot of records at garage sales, but the first album at a store, the Woolworths in the Delaware Plaza in Ellesmere, yes. New York. Yes, I bought course. Peter Frampton's Frampton. The wow, year before Frampton one. Comes Alive came out, still wow. a brilliant record. Wow, that's fantastic. So, so like you said, so for our audience, um, my wife Kelly is best friends and has been best friends for years and years with Mike's sister, Margaret, who happens to be one of the nicest person on earth you know and and i just love her love her and you know kelly my wife is goddaughter to margaret's uh daughter autumn and um so we're connected that way but one of the things you had mentioned was and, and i talked to margaret about this is uh see so you come from a, a you know a historical you know delmar family really um and but they were my father would say, okay excuse me I, I am I am so sorry Slingerlands <laughs> um but you know I talked to Margaret about this before how did you become such a you know uh just a just a immerse in the art world like you are here in the capital district and beyond when your family wasn't really a family of artists like that well first let me say this and I know you know this is true but just for your audience's sake your wife Kelly besides being a superhero is much better looking and much nicer than you <laughs> well with this this goes without saying when you hear people punch above their weight that's an understatement for me there you go <laughs> um my family wonderful people gosh you know my, my my dad my brother david my sister margaret my mother cookie who just celebrated would have celebrated she died many years ago but would have celebrated her yeah. 85th birthday just the other day um, isn't that so something I was thinking about her very fondly. Um, yeah. My parents, my mother in particular, said, do what makes you happy. It wasn't that you had to do what you were expected to do. Um, so David excelled at sports, became known yep. in that. Billy got very involved in the fire department. My father was right. huge in the fire department. Right. I took that same sort of ego, let's call it what it is, and impetus, yep. and applied that to things I loved in the music world. Right, but and how, never, I, I learned it early on to never say no. I roadied for bands. I cleaned up a nightclub. I've done sound. I was a DJ. All yeah. these different crazy things. Produce records. It all interests me. I've said this before. Um, I was amazingly lucky 
this past June, when we were originally going to do this podcast, I got inducted into the Capital Region Music Hall of Fame. It was just an oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk beautiful about people. But I talked about in the video for that this idea of music being the horse, and I have these various carts I put behind it. So I painted for a while. But when I was painting, I painted portraits of American folk and blues musicians. I've been a songwriter since the 80s. Uh, I've been a musician performing since 1982. They're all different carts. I was a, a music critic for 30 years. They're all different carts I put behind that horse of music. And so I never said no. I went and attacked all those things, but it was all for me, all to do with music. One of the things I owned for many years, and it got lost in one of the moves, was I had two green paintings of yours that I bought at a garage sale that you were at of guitars. Uh, yep. or, or band no guitars guitars and they were very yep. minimalistic but they were awesome and i love them and of course they got lost but um um so i i definitely know your artwork um I so might you're talking about the those here. I'll yeah. try to find them in India. oh i would love that um so you were talking about music one of the things that before i knew before i even really knew kelly right many years ago as the house manager for capital rep and um i remember in one of our big meetings <laughs> um uh maggie uh, yep. at Capital Rep said, tonight, Michael Eck is coming. And so, you know, let's make sure that everything's all set, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that was the first time I heard of you. And that probably was in, in I want to say 1999, honestly. And um, um, so how did you get involved with being a theater critic? In fact, Mike, um, I was in a production in Curtain Call Theater, um, and um, you wrote the review for it. And you know there was so much, you know, so much weight behind your reviews, you know, so much weight behind your reviews, you know, not just the not just the theater reviews in the Capital District, but yours in particular. That was 1999. The curtain call one was 2012, right? So now that's 12 years later, and you still were like this force, you know, of a critic in the theater world. One, how did you get involved with them, right? And two. Um, do you still do it or would you would you still do it if you're not do you still have an interest in it you know because i only knew the music stuff after like i started to get to know kelly in 2012 uh or, or i'm sorry in 2010 should kill me um <laughs> but 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 the music stuff i really had no idea about with you i only knew you as a theater critic at first so how did you get first how did you get involved with that so um i started reviewing music again quite young i was probably 18 or 20 for a, a magazine called buzz magazine times yep. union i learned that their critic was leaving who was a freelancer i just submitted you know a letter begging <laughs> hey hi, yeah, right telling yeah. all the different things i did in music and stuff and started doing that early on quite early at the times union i had a wonderful editor named jackie Demoline. i've been lucky to work with a ton of great editors every writer needs an editor Anybody who thinks in this day of the internet, oh, I don't, you're wrong. You need an editor. Yeah. Well, Jackie was really wise. Jackie was the Times Union theater critic. I was doing music. I remember once she said to me, can I go to a music show with you? And I said, yeah, why? She goes, I want to see what you think. I want to see how you think. And it was yeah. Marion McPartland, the jazz pianist. And I kind of oh, wow. went rhapsodic, Jeff. I got so excited. I'm like, listen to what she's doing with her left hand listen to where that left hand is working against the right hand and jackie goes that's all i need to know so jackie came to a point her nickname jackie since passed but jackie Demoline, 
her nickname was Jackie Demolition because <laughs> she gave so many mean reviews. Right. So I had moved to Texas. Greg Hames, yeah. who we mentioned before, we yeah. moved him into my spot. When I moved back, actually from New Orleans, I spent some time in the South. When yeah. I moved back, Jackie said, this would have been 92, the summer of 92, she said, hey, I'm thinking about getting out of theater and just editing. What yeah. do you think? And I said, well, Jackie, you know, I studied a lot of theater in college. I began to try this. And we had talked so much, Jeff, about the concept of reviewing and what you look for. Yes. And we right. literally, I remember the conversation. She said, you can review a gumball machine if you approach it the same way you do a concert or a play or what have you. So yeah. she said, what wisdom she had. What a wonderful, crazy, crazy woman. But she said, let's go see a play at Capitol Repertory Theater. Lips together, Keith the part, yeah. Terrence McNally. She said, yeah. what we're going to do is you'll review the play. She said, then you'll submit it to me. If I don't think you're ready, I'll write the review. And mm -hmm. we'll take things from there. I submitted the review. She said, you're the new theater critic for the Times Union. Wow. And That's I did fantastic. that from 92 to 2013 when I took a job with Proctor's. And part of Proctor's is Proctor's administers Capital Repertory Theater. So you mentioned yes. Maggie Nelly Cahill, who lives literally probably just down the street from you on Kenwood Avenue. Um, yep. Sitting in, in her office the first week, the two of us, loud voices and obscure yeah. swear words, and her yes. saying, you know, you trash so many of the plays here. But I said, I also supported so many of the plays here. God, I loved working for her, Jeff. She's a wonderful, wonderful artist. Yes. For yeah. sure, for sure. So, so did you have to? Did you have to get out of it because um, you work for you were working for Proctor's, right? I did. Right. Um, that um, was a part of the deal that that we, I struck with Proctor's, and sort of with the Times Union. It just seemed like a conflict of interest. How could I be doing PR for Proctor's and Capital sure. Repertory Theater, and then reviewing the wonderful work at Curtain Call? You know, it just didn't seem right. right. Now, when I got out of Proctor's, I left and joined a wonderful company called, I keep saying wonderful all the time. I sound like I'm on WAMC or something. Um, <laughs> but I did join a truly wonderful company called Two Old Hippies in Bend, Oregon. I was writing about yes. guitar, my day job. Um, fantastic folks. So I and, did not can I side, in, What's can that? I sidebar that for a second? What, the, the Oregon uh, job, um, was that one magazine or was that several magazines? The Oregon job, was a guitar manufacturer and so oh I was okay and marketing and emails and things like that um yeah and it was really detailed super guitar geekery stuff i was ghostwriting some pieces that landed in magazines and stuff i wrote an entire magazine for the company which was the monthly breed love magazine and that was it was yes. all marketing but great fun um, so I got out of the freelance world at that point for a while, was doing a podcast yeah. with Fretboard Journal, who I've worked for many times. Um, yeah. Anyhow, after I got hired at Proctor's, I got out of the reviewing game sort of entirely for a while, except for Chronogram down in the Hudson Valley, which I still do record reviews for them. Um, yeah. I worked in a concert series where I was doing some marketing, writing, etc. So definitely keeping my hand in the music world. I've not gone back to reviewing theater or anything as of yet. Um, we're trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, really, yeah. I don't think I'm ready for a job. Um, so we're, sure. we're looking at the disability. Um, 
but we'll see yeah. what life brings. I still with, love theater. With, I, got to, I was very lucky and got to go see opening night of Capital Repertory Theater in the new space. That felt great. Uh, I've seen a play yeah. uh, done by uh, Classic Theater Guild that my friend Kimberly Kelby yeah. was in. I might go see yeah. Kimberly in once at a Schenectady Light Opera Company. So still love it. Um, and That's Hades fantastic. Town. I'm, if you yeah. haven't seen Hades Town, or if your audience hasn't seen Hades Town, go see it. Um, I just want to show you that. Oh, uh, there I don't we go. See it. <laughs> this is uh, tonight, this has been tonight, my obsession. I'm wearing my tonight. I'm wearing my me T-shirt, which yes. were my initials that was made by my great friend Aaron Harks, who's such a great musician yes. and comedian. But I almost wore my Hades Town T-shirt for you tonight. So Hades Town, I, I I actually didn't know really much about it. I but in in plays I've been in, other cast members would like sing it in rehearsals and stuff like that just for fun. And then I checked it out. Um, yes, let me just say yes. It's uh, it's been my musical of the year. Is it playing around here locally? It will be playing at Proctor's, I believe, in twenty three. Um, Great. Well, Proctor, I'm there for sure. Proctor's was going to uh, launch it. I believe this year, and the COVID changed everything. I've seen yes. the show four times in New York. It's my favorite wow. Broadway musical, hands down. Now I reviewed for over 20 years, and I worked in touring Broadway for seven years. Hands down, it's my favorite musical. I just think it's brilliant. Wow, that's incredible. That that really is incredible to hear, because like um, like I said, I've been obsessed with it, but to hear you say it's your favorite musical, that's, that's really something. When, when you got into theater reviewing, um, no, wait, you just did your thing. Give me one second. Yes. Here's my little Hades Town flask. To the world it's we the, dream. Yeah. To the world we dream about and the one we live in now. Yes. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Living it up on top. Living it up on and top. And talk about good marketing. Hades Town. Oh. The myth, the musical. Oh, I love it. Yes. I know. It's fantastic. I could we could do a whole show just on that. Um um, when you got into theater uh, reviewing, did you have a lot of background in theater? I had studied theater in college. I was an English major. Yep. I took yep. a couple theater courses. I read a lot of plays in college. Yes. I went to see a few things on my own. What made me, and I do love this story, so I'm going to tell it. It's a set piece for me. What got me interested in theater is when I was in high school, I went to Christian Brothers Academy in Albany back when it was across from Albany Medical Center, not where it is now, because I'm an old guy. Yeah. And <laughs> in our library, we had this very small bin of records. I mean, like maybe 20 vinyl albums. Yeah. One of them was the two record set, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uta Hagen, Arthur Hill. Yeah. I listened to that. I listened to it. I didn't see a video of it. I just listened to it. It blew my mind. Later on, years later, at a signing, I got to meet um, Edward Albee. And have him sign a copy of the play wow. for me. But that individual experience of listening to that record was so fundamental to me. It's what put me on a track to pursue theater. Um, and I have seen the play. I had tickets to see it in New York, and it got canceled because of the, the pandemic. Um, but that's what put me on the path. And then I saw a few plays here and there, but I didn't have a huge past in theater before right. that living together teeth apart experience. Um, and right. once that happened, I was just in both feet all the way. So would you say that your your uh, education in theater was also all the years um, critiquing 
shows. That's where the main education came from, yeah. Because I was now, I mean, you're... A, I was talking yeah, with ahead. a friend the other night. Um, here's the thing about reviewing that I'd, I'd kind of like to say. Whether you're reviewing a record, a play, or a gumball machine. Yes. You have to have an opinion. Now, with social media, everyone thinks they have an opinion. And that's a wonderful thing. Oh, my God, that's such a wonderful thing that everybody has this platform to express themselves. Yeah. But sometimes people think they have an opinion without having one. Do I mean you have right. to be a jerk? No, but it doesn't hurt. Um, right. Then you have to be able to express that opinion in a way that makes sense to someone else. Then on top of that, you have to be able to layer these amounts of history, whether it's about plays or music, in real time. You don't have time to look it up. Now, when I was working right. for the Times Union, I had to file my play review sometimes before the play had even finished. That's oh, wow. the trick, is you're doing this in real time. And you have to make yeah. sure the editing is good, the writing is crisp, all those things. Get your facts straight. Do you mess up sometimes? Sure. Um, and yeah. I don't take that casually at all. Um, yeah. I think it's you have to make good on that as soon as you can. Um, but to me, it was a, a, a relentlessly interesting experience. You mentioned Curtain Call. I remember going yeah. to see the play, Driving Miss Daisy there. Yeah. Now, when I went to see it, I thought, Driving Miss Daisy is one of those plays I'd never have to see again, and I'd live a long, happy life without ever seeing it again. They staged it down the center aisle instead of putting it on the stage. Emmett Ferris was in it. It hit me like a baseball bat. It was like seeing wow. a play for the first time. And in that moment, wow. I thought, this is what you live for <clears throat> as a theater fan is this experience to be transported to be taken somewhere it was just magnificent and i love when that happens well it's not something it was something that you you could probably recite the the lines you saw so many times but because they staged it differently and because they they perceived it differently uh, everything about it the staging at first was arresting oh this is different but then the acting yeah. the interpretation the thoughts of wow. the director and it, it all came together so if you had staged like, it on the say? floor if you'd staged yeah. them on the floor and not had that quality of acting, of interpretation, so what? It right. was the way everything so, worked together. One of the things I was going to say is, you know, what makes a, what makes a play stand out or really uh, impress you? You know, that you're like, this is amazing. So that's actually one. And then, so the other, the, it flips to the other side. Um, not that you would, but I'll just say without naming names. What would you say is it you've seen, um, I don't want to say a failure, failure is the wrong word. Um, what would you say that you would be, for lack of a better term, a bad review? Where, where you're just like, you know what, this just isn't firing on all thrusters or something stand, like what would, what would it have to be for you to kind of in your head, throw up your hands and be like, this is just not great. I've seen failures. I'll use that word. Yeah. Um, okay. But I, I guess to answer your question, I'm going to try and come at it from the side a little bit. Yeah. A wonderful production of a lousy play is still better than a movie or something else because it's living, breathing people in front of you. And when I say yes. a wonderful production, I'm not talking about, oh, isn't the chair beautiful? Isn't the, you know, all those things are part of a production of a play. The music, the staging, all those things, the acting, yeah. the direction, it's all but a wonderful production of a play that's flawed can still be a pretty magical thing. Um, yeah. 
So I want, personally, because I'm greedy, I want the play itself to be a strong vehicle. Then yes. if you layer strong production on top of that, now we're starting to really talk. There's moments right. in the world of theater that have transported me. One of the earliest plays I reviewed, uh, Shakespeare, Midsummer Night's Dream, over at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox. And boy, they know how to yeah. do it. Tina Packer, who ran Shakespeare and Company for many years, she's still involved, but she's no longer the executive director. One of the things I love about Tina, I'll say this about Carol Max. I'll go on the record. I don't care. Carol Max isn't afraid to fail big. Neither is Tina Packer. Yeah. They'll take yeah. on something and they'll put a concept to it and fall right on their heads. And yeah. they'll just, they can do that when they do it right. Oh, baby. So Tina, yeah. with the, with this production of uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, she had Johnny Epstein sitting in a tree. He's Puck. He's sitting in a tree for like an hour and a half or two hours or something. Then he swings down on a rope. You've never seen him up there. What an entrance. And there was so many magical <laughs> parts of that production. And I just thought, wow, why can't life be like three this? Of, I wanna go on record to say three of the best plays I've seen in the, uh, that I've seen, right, have been in the Capitol District. And and two two were at Capitol Rep. One was at Curtain Call. The one at Curtain Call was Opus, right? And I absolutely loved that, loved it. And then the other two was, they did it a long time ago. Um, actually, they did both plays a long time ago. One was called Beasts on the Moon. And one was called um, Billy Bishop Goes to War. Yep. And, um, I just, you know, the opus I have found, but I have not found Billy Bishop Blows War, and I have not ever found Beasts on the Moon anywhere, not even when I searched for it. I must have the wrong title. It's about the Armenian genocide and this couple coming You from have America. the correct title. Oh, okay. I remember Beast on the Moon. Yeah, you have the correct yeah, title. Yeah, I mean, powerful, powerful. I, to this day, I still remember it. Anyways, moving now, up with fear, you were just, play, yeah. Is opus the play that involves the violins? Yes. I helped yes. Carol get violins for that production because they really? had to destroy a violin each night and I helped her get yes. a box of violins, yeah. I love that play. I thought that was fantastic, you know? So, and plus, um, you know, I mean, there's some, as you know, there's some real talent here in the Albany area and the Capital District area. And um, just to watch some of these powerful performers that I've worked with, that, you know, to do some of these shows are incredible. It's just great that it's still going on and there's so many options. So I think um, whether you're listening to a record, my preferred thing, seeing a band live, seeing yeah. a play on stage, reading a book, looking at a painting. If you're interested, if you're an involved person, you're always looking for the same thing. Uh, the, the phrase I used before, you're looking to be transported. You're looking to be taken yeah. away in the moment by the writing in that book, by the story that's being told. There's so many different angles you have into it. Um, Don DeLillo right. was an author who I love the way he writes. As soon as I close the last page, I forget what the story was about. I can't remember his stories to save my life. I'm not that yeah. into his stories. I love the way he writes. Yes. So there's all these different entry points into something. And yeah. just you find your own. And that's what makes the subjectivity of music or theater or, or whatever so special is the things that Jeff Lurie loves are not necessarily the things that Michael Eck loves, yet we can both find them. Absolutely. So 
One of the things um, that is kind of timely, uh, I mean, it's August, but I think this was in June, correct me if I'm wrong, you were inducted to the Capital District Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Am I getting that right? You know, it's the Thomas Edison Awards, uh, the Eddie's Awards that are, are administered through Proctors. And I actually yep. helped, I helped induct the first two inductees. Kevin wow. McCrell, Ruth Pelleman wrote about them while I was still employed there. I haven't been employed yep. there obviously a number of years. Uh, when I left, they said, wait a minute, you're gonna leave us to write full-time about guitars? We get <laughs> it. And they, they said, no, have fun. Right. Um, that event struck me even more than I expected it to. I was so delighted to be asked to be part of it. I'm not real big on nostalgia, yeah. but it was really fun. It was fun. I'm not going to lie, Jeff, to, to look back through some of the things I'm I've sure. done and to remember like, gosh, I didn't remember I did this, I did that. Um, and then to be with that group of people, and I'm going to forget somebody, but Joel Moss and Sarah Ayers and Greg Haynes and Super 400 and Richard Ortiz. Yeah. It was just such yeah. an excellent group of people um, who, who could ask what, for more. What, um, what was the ceremony like? Was it in person? Was it virtual? The ceremony was in person. Um, it was at okay. UPA, Universal Preservation Hall in Saratoga. That's where they had yeah. the literal Hall of Fame. It's a hallway and they put all Oh, okay. That's good to know. What was really cool is Steve Candlin sang a song yeah. of mine that night. So that felt really special. They come wow. to your house and shoot a video with you where they, they let they let the video do a lot of the heavy lifting of you telling your story. And that was a lot of fun. Yes. And you do a little speech. And me as I do when I do speeches, I fall apart. I started yes. falling eyes out and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would have too. Yeah. But it was cool. And just to be surrounded in that room by this incredible level of talent, you know, Brooks, who started uh WEXT. You know, there was just all this great, great, and it reminded you, as you said before, there's so much talent in this region. There is, but Mike, I mean, you know, you won't say this about yourself, but you're such a, a strong thread in the fabric of the arts world here in the capital. I mean, like, I, you Thank know, you. your reputation proceed. No, you just, you just are, and like, you know, and also, don't, I don't admit this, but you happen to be a nice guy. But I know you won't admit that, so don't, don't, <laughs> you know, be careful there. <laughs> Can you say so, the word so, bastard on the internet? <laughs> yeah, I will. When I put hiatus out, I'll put bastard in. So, all right, there we go. Um, all right. Um, what, what, how did you get involved with bluegrass music? Because the thing is, you know, it's such a niche, you know, it's type of uh, genre. And I, I love it. Like when I, when I heard you were, first I heard we we're going to see, you know, Margaret's brother play. And then I heard we were going to see bluegrass, you know, the bluegrass type of band. And I was like, wow, this is phenomenal. This I love this. But how did you get involved with with you know playing it? First of all, I pretty much love every kind of music. Um, yeah. which is such a cliched thing to say. But yeah. no. you know, I worked for 10 years at the Music Haven Concert Series where we presented international music. And the things you would yeah. learn at every concert, you know, how a calabash gourd established this certain rhythm that works within the context of this music. So I love bluegrass, just like I love a lot of other music. The secret is Ramblin' Jug Stompers, Berkshire Ramblers, Lost Radio Rounders, were all acoustic music playing bluegrass type instruments. I play mandolin for the past 15 years. has been sort of my main gig. I play anything with frets I'll take a shot at. Um, yeah. But none of those bands were bluegrass bands. The jug band played pre-bluegrass, pre-blues, 
Um, right. One of the reasons we were called Ramblin' Jug Stompers is we said we play at Ramblin' Speed. Bluegrass is very yes. high speed music. Um, yeah, yeah. So, what what was the song? There's a favorite song of mine that you guys played. Um, it was done with a, um, I don't want to say a megaphone, but like a, a Greg would like talk. Hello, uh, hello. Yes, that was it. That was it. Hello, hello. That's by a band from 1970 called Sopwith Camel. And it was a little novelty yeah. number. And Greg had done that in a previous group, not Blotto, but the Star Spangled yeah. Washboard Band. And we resurrected it for the Jug Band. Great fun. So for me, I remember Blotto growing up in this area. Yeah. Can you can you give our audience like a, a elevator pitch of what Blotto was? Because there are a lot of people listening, not from Albany, but they do know Blotto. Blotto was probably the biggest band to come out of Albany. They were played yeah. on MTV on the very first day that MTV aired in 1981. I did not know that. Wow. Absolutely. And their song, I Want to Be a Lifeguard, became a hit yes. up and down the coast. Vin Skelsa in New York played it, and that was where it got its biggest boost from. The Star Spangled Washboard Band, which was many of the same members and predated Blotto, actually toured a wider path of the country. But Blotto is remembered as this beloved, very 80s. They were very comic. Yes. They were very funny, incredibly talented musicians, and they're remembered right. very well. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I never, I've never known. I didn't know that about the MTV. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. I mean, um, that's literally so, not, not to make a cliche, but literally, that's in the history books. If you read books about MTV, it mentions yeah. in there. And you know, wow. had the great yeah. good luck to play with members of that band. Three of them in Ramblin' Jug Stompers, because Clyde, our, our guitar player, later became their bass player after Cheese died. But Sarge Blotto, who was right. known as Wild Bill in the jug band right bowtie who was bowtie in blotto and the jug band and i'm still playing with bowtie now so it's a real treat for me do you have gigs lined up right now yeah um lost radio rounders plays a lot of private shows but this yep. summer we've been doing a number of public shows so i've definitely got yep. gigs lined up and then oh, i'm great. very excited uh on the 25th of september a sunday night at seven o'clock i'm doing yep. a solo show at cafe lena which I just love, Cafe Lena. It is my 40th yes. anniversary in live music. The technical date will be October 1st, but uh, I'm doing that cafelena.org cafe with two Fs. And the cool thing I'm for that, we're, yeah. we, were we were talking about family affairs before. Yeah. Um, for the final two songs of that show, Nepotism in Action, my kids are going to join me on guitar and violin for that show. That That is fantastic. But when I, when I um, published this on all the all the places we publish it you got to send me some links that i can share with the public so you know that you know Absolutely. for the shows yeah, yeah that'd be great so so with the shows that you mentioned that you know due to the health things that have went up you know you, they, there's some accommodations you know to to get to the shows while you're at the shows one thing that you know i think you've posted publicly and uh if i'm wrong i'm going to edit it out is um <laughs> the, you know your 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 weight loss journey Right, which you know we all struggle with, especially my family. <laughs> um, I'm a, I come from a family of eaters, not drinkers. And uh, when we say we're getting a pint, that means they're throwing down a chocolate <laughs> therapy down the bar, you know. Um, I like it. But uh, um, talk to me about that if if you like, like I mean, you look 
phenomenal. You know what I mean? Hey. Like Kelly says, you know, she, you know, she knew you growing up. I didn't know you growing up, but she said she wouldn't even recognize you walking down the street if she didn't know you. Yeah. So like what, you know, and you're sticking with it, which is incredible. It's been fun. I yeah. will not say it's been easy. I actually got asked by the Times Union to do a story on it in October yeah. of last year. And one of yeah. the things I made clear to the editor, Steve Barnes, who's a good friend of mine. Yes. And I made clear in the article as well is I am not offering you a prescription on how to do this. I'm telling yeah. you what worked for me because I'm not a doctor. What yeah. happened is I come from a family of drinkers as well as eaters. So okay. at my heaviest, I was 450 pounds, probably yeah. about 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, in mid 2019, I was at work one day at Proctor still, and I felt a little woozy. I felt a little dizzy. Yeah. And I got talking to a friend of mine, Mike McCord, who I consider my hero uh, for what he yeah. did that day. He's a type one diabetic. I don't think he'd mind me saying that. He said, yeah. let me take your blood pressure, your blood sugar, and put your mind at ease. He yeah. took my blood sugar, and he turned white as a sheet, Jeff. And he said to me, your blood sugar is over 400. You have to do something. And for oh, me, wow. given my family history, I thought, this is kind of like an alcoholic hitting bottom. I have to make a yeah. change right now. Not tomorrow, right. in a week, right now. I had a gig that night. Yeah. My brother Billy said, here, just have a few cookies. I said, no, I don't eat cookies anymore. So I profoundly changed the way I eat. I started walking even more. I'd been walking for 10, 15 years. So that was already yeah. in the mix. Um, but a, a major, major lifestyle change. I think when I had the stroke, et cetera, I think to myself, boy, if I hadn't lost, and I'm proud to say this, if I hadn't lost 270 pounds, imagine the trouble I would have been in having a stroke wow. and all that. Since the stroke, right. I'm gonna be uppity and say, I claim ownership on this. I'm still working at this. I'm still watching what I eat. I have ice cream like twice a week. My diabetic yep. doctor said, you can do that um, because you've made yeah. all these other changes. Um, they were great. I said to them, I can't do a prescribed diet. I can't do a meal plan. I can't do shakes. I don't want to do any of those things. What right. do I do? She said, look at the amount of weight you've lost. She said, do what you're doing. And that was great. <laughs> and what I'm doing is when I yeah. say I cut carbs, I don't eat any pastries or baked goods. I don't eat any pasta. I don't eat any rice. I don't eat any potatoes. My family's been so helpful with all this. Um, That's great. Yeah. Wait, but but like you said, Billy, you know, or you said, you know, maybe have some cookies or something that day. You were able to just say no. I was able to like, just say no. So like like probably you, like probably everyone, I love pizza. And I thought, you know yes. what? I've eaten enough pizza. That was my thought. Yeah. So now yeah. if I want to have a slice of pizza, I take the cheese off the top and I throw the piece out. I throw the bread out. I've found wow. ways to things. When I have a sandwich, Jeff, I'll take a piece of ham and a piece of Swiss cheese, maybe put yeah. a little mayo on it, then another piece of ham. That's my sandwich. I will wow. so I you become high maintenance in a way that I, I, I always hated the idea of being in a restaurant and being high maintenance, but I'll ask for a sandwich with no bread. I'd like to be less wasteful. It's one of the things I learned working for 12 hippies was this idea of being more resourceful and less wasteful. Yeah. Yes. Um, 
So rather than throwing the bread out, can you make this for me and just not give me the bread? Some restaurants will do this wonderful presentation of it without the bread. God bless them, yeah. you know, for, for putting yeah. up with my weird demands. But yeah, I found no. my but but uh, yeah, I'll just ask: Was it a struggle at some time? I mean, like, because yes, I eat pizza. I admit it, and yeah, you know, I I want to get to a place where I'm like, you know what? I've had enough pizza, and I should get to that place. Um, but how did? Was it just cold turkey, and you were good, or was there it's signs of like, were you like ah? It's surprisingly been much less of a struggle than you might expect. But and I can't say this. I can't say this strongly enough. If I hadn't had that experience at work of, yeah. I'll use the phrase again, hitting bottom. Yeah. My body was talking to me. I was not yeah. listening. I was having these moments. I went to see this great band. Oh my God, Jeff, if you ever get to see Godspeed, you black emperor, um, instrumental band, super loud, furiously loud. I was seeing yeah. them with my son Lakota at Mass Mocha. And I had yeah. to ask the woman, working there could you find me a chair i think i need to sit i thought i was going to pass out oh, my wow. body was talking to me and i was not paying attention in wow. that moment when i found out how crazy my blood sugar was i thought you have to pay attention now yeah. and so then i'd still be going to new york because that was pre-pandemic yeah um, i'd go to my favorite greek restaurant i'd get octopodi and lucanico sausage i wouldn't eat the pita etc you know I just learned yeah. how to order differently. Now, I have still not yet met with a uh, dietitian or a diabetic yeah. coach. Um, yeah. So maybe there's something I'm doing that I should should maybe there's something I should be doing that I'm not. But I've been really fierce about the choices I make, and and how I try to behave. Well, it's inspiring, and like you know, when you posted on Facebook and stuff for for all of us that are your friends on Facebook, it was dramatic, like, it was like, one day we saw, you know, you were off, I think you were off Facebook for a while, and then you came back with these pictures. It's like, who did you Photoshop? What did you, <laughs> it was just kind of like, it was, it was, you know, I'm like, wait a second, you're not supposed to go past me. So it was fun you know, putting up, it was fun putting up the photo of me holding out my size 60 pants. Yes, I, I'm now I was wearing, just thinking that. I'm now wearing size 36. Um, your oh listeners God, for the podcast will have to imagine this, but I'm going to show you right now my favorite thing about losing weight. Yes. I can put the guitar on my knee now. Yeah. Without wearing a strap. That's my very favorite thing. So, Mike, you will appreciate this. I um, got an uh, applause by ovation guitar with the, with the rounded back. And yep. it does not work for me because I got my belly and then I got the rounded back. So it's like I'm playing out here. I'm going to say the most sexist thing in the world. Okay. For a guy like you or me playing an ovation is like dancing with yeah. a fat girl. Right. <laughs> exactly. Please um, forgive so me I just saw No, no. I Yeah. Um, so I just saw the guitar and we had talked before that you might honor us with playing a couple of songs. Um, you know, if you would still be open to that, I'd love to do one, talk a little more, and then like close out with another one. Oh, I'd do that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put awesome. in a plug. I'm going to put in a plug. Please. This is a 2017 Bedell 1964 Special Edition Parlor Guitar. It's wow. one of the ones the company I work for makes, and it's just a magnificent guitar. Now, I told you that I've been doing uh, 
these songwriting prompts, classes, groups, workshops, yes. etc. This album I'm going to put out, uh, Your Turn to Shine, has been recorded entirely at WEXT live in a series of interviews there. Yeah. And it's mostly new songs. Um, what I'm going to do for this show coming at Cafe Lena is fully half of it is going to be these new songs I've been writing. Oh, that that is really great. Taking a sip of water. So if yeah. you want to mind um, what I'm going to play for you right now, I'm going to try to play. I'll say try. Yeah. Yes. It's a song that I submitted to my songwriting group this past Tuesday. We're talking on a wow. Thursday night. So this is pretty much as new as it gets. Um, what I was trying to do with these visits to WXT, this wonderful local radio station that's really put its might yes. behind local music, yep. is perform three new songs each time I visit. So this is a brand new song called Tattooed on My Wrist. The title refers to the fact that I used to write these lists of things to do today on my wrist. I finally got some tattoos on my inner arm to make me stop yes. doing that. But I made the joke once about, oh, I'll tattoo my list of things to do, even though it would only last one day. The prompt, right. was, the prompt was, there's always the afterlife. Now, for this particular, it's called the songwriting game that Stephen Clare runs, an invitational thing. You have to use the prompt exactly, the phrase, exactly somewhere in the song. So that's what I did. So well, let's see if I can do this one. Wonderful. Now, I've been looking at you on the screen. Um, the, the, the listeners will hear this as audio. Um, but... Along with everything else, I've got diabetic retinopathy, so it takes my eyes a second to adjust, but we'll see. Yeah, no, please. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'm sure of it, but don't bother me right now. I've heard it said, if you want something done, ask a busy man, but don't bother me right now. Don't bother me right now. I'm much too hurried to get to everything written on my list. But there's always the afterlife. I'm much too hurried to get to everything tattooed on my wrist. But there's always the afterlife. There's always the afterlife. I sleep when I'm dead, I'm sure of it, but don't bother me right now. I've heard it said, if you want something done, ask the busy man, but don't bother me right now. Don't bother me right now. Much you heard to get to everything written on my list, but there's always the afterlife. I'm much too hurried to get to everything tattooed on my wrist, but there's always the afterlife. There's always the afterlife. Don't bother me right now. 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 I'm much too hurried to get to everything written on my list. 
but there's always the afterlife. I'm much too hard to get to everything tattooed on my wrist, but there's always the afterlife. There's always the afterlife. Wow. Thanks. That was awesome. That was awesome. Now, somebody Thank out there might have noticed, that. somebody out there might have noticed, and they'd be absolutely right. Um, when I'm doing the songwriting prompts, I absolutely hew to the Allen Ginsberg concept of first thought, best thought. My first thought when I saw There's Always the Afterlife was a wonderful Warren Zevon song that opens up his very first album, I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. There's plenty to do. There's work on the farm. I'll sleep when I'm dead. That's yes. the first line. Of the yes. song. Not the same melody or anything, but the first line. How do you write songs? Like for, for those of us that don't write songs or can't comprehend even doing that, um, does it, does the tune come to you? Do the words come? To, I mean, obviously both come to you, but how does it all kind of come to be? Well, that's, I'm really glad you asked that. That's kind of fun to share. Years ago, I would have said that things are creep. I interviewed Suzanne Vega once and she said it's like a pinball rolling around a pinball machine picking up bits and stuff. And what I would get is this little kernel that was a melodic fragment and a lyric fragment together. And that yeah. would almost always be the germ that the song came from. Yeah. But during the pandemic, when I started doing these workshops and stuff, from these prompts, I found myself writing lyrics first very frequently. So not every single time, but often I will write the entire set of lyrics first now. And I'll even decide on the key to the song. I might decide on elements of a chord progression and then sort yeah. of discover it. Um, one of the great things about being in the jug band, the Ramblin' Jug Stompers, was playing yeah. with Bowtie Clyde. There is such a high level of musicianship that I learned all these new chord changes that I hadn't played before, these new ways right. of arranging a song. And so those yeah. find their way in now. So that, are, that um, chord progression I just played for you, was yeah. the one to the seven chord, which is an yeah. old folk music thing. Uh, uh, oh, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. There's a, a, a house carpenter uh, that I play that has that chord progression, totally different melody. But I'll, I'll sometimes choose that kind of stuff in advance now. So I have a lot yeah. of these pools at my disposal and it makes it fun. But like when, when you rhyme, right, because it, when you say like wrist and list or something like that, do you drive yourself crazy being like, I don't know if I like those two. Like, yes, they, I guess I would be like almost OCD with it. Like, oh, I guess those rhyme, but like, is that the best two words? Like, would you drive yourself crazy with the words? Like, like this works, Absolutely. but I don't know if I. <laughs> Absolutely drive yourself crazy. I think that's really good advice. One of the things that people would ask me throughout the years when I was writing for the newspaper, yeah. I wrote, a, this was a fun fact that I learned uh, after Greg Hames passed by buddy Steve Barnes, yeah. I mentioned, looked, at both, uh, looked us yeah. both up. I wrote over 5,000 bylines for the Times Union. Woo! Wow. Um, I believe it. So people would say, well, you're writing all the time. Doesn't that make it hard to write lyrics? No. I felt like my tools were already sharp. Now, here's yeah. the other thing about a writer, Jeff, that I think is really important, and I want people to consider this if they're interested in writing songs, 
if they're interested in writing plays, use the tools that are there to help you. Thesaurus, rhyming dictionary, yeah. etc. I use an online resource now called Word Hippo, wordhippo.com. It's a great site. Um, yeah. The list and wrist came to me together. Um, when I first wrote the initial draft of the lyrics, I had the word list twice. I really try to not have a word twice right. in a song. It's too right. small a space, you know? Right. But then when I right. came up with this idea of tattooing on my wrist, I thought this really fits who I am. And that's yep. the title of the song now. That revealed itself in that instant. I'm like, this is where the song is, is meant to go. Um, but I love internal rhymes. I just edited a, a song uh, that a friend wrote and added some internal rhymes. Um, right before we got online together, I was working on my prompt for this week. Uh, yeah. Sitting, smoking, considering. And I wrote out a full set of lyrics for that. Um, but yeah, it, to me, it's a wonderful puzzle. But here's the thing. We were talking before about being transported by a play or a song or a concert right. or whatever. You want to try and take somebody there if you can. So I try to compress a lot of thought into a small space in a song. And being yeah. crazy about the words is one way for me to do that. I don't, I don't know how I've successful heard. I am. Yeah. Um, there's a song. Maybe I'll even play it for you as the last song. We'll, we'll see when we get there. Yeah. But um, okay. for this Hall of Fame thing, I mentioned this guy, Steve Canlon, played one of my songs. Yes. One of the most exciting things to me about that was Steve and I were in touch. He selected the song that was on a record I released 12 years ago. Yeah. And he said, hey, can you send me a set of the lyrics so that I can learn it? Right. And I thought, you know what I'm going to do, Jeff? There's one word in that song that's been out on record for 12 years, and the song itself is probably 20 years old. There's one yeah. word that's always bothered me because I repeat it. I'm going to fix it. And Steve got to sing the fixed word for the first time. Really? So that's fantastic. Even this far down the line, you can still make those changes. Well, that's interesting because one of the things I was going to ask you is I, I've talked to a lot of uh, art, uh, artists who are painters, and they say, you know, once they sign it, they're done. That's it. They won't go back to it. It's locked. Do, your, do you, like, you just talk about changing a word for somebody, but for your song, is there a time where you lock it, where you're just like, I'm good, I'm not, I'm not going to drive myself nuts anymore? You use the word lock it because you work in the theater. And there's a concept where the, the playwright and the director lock the play and no exactly. more changes can be made. Um, this word I changed in the song, I changed and he got to sing it the first time, but now I sing that different word. So I think a really important part of being an artist, you know, as a painter, I think knowing when to be done. Stop painting now. Let this be yes. done. Um, yes. Is important. Um, I don't think, and I'm really glad you asked this because I've never thought about this before. Yeah. I don't think I feel quite the same way about songs. Bob Dylan, who is the father of us all, I mean, talk about a North Star. He's still changing yeah. his songs now. You go see him now. He's still changing them now. So yeah, it's funny you say that. It, it re, I re, one of my favorite songs of all time is "Tangled Up in Blue," and I've heard different versions from him of it. Like where I'm like, oh, this is where he talked to you know, this is the the verse of this story, you know, you know, uh, whatever, a job in the great North Woods or whatever. But like he changes the stories in some of it, and I'm like, what? Wait, that's not what I was ready for. 
So I want to tell you a quick story. The artist Amy Mann from Boston. Yeah. Um, she was telling a story on stage at a, a now defunct venue locally called Saratoga Winners. And she oh, was yeah. talking about how she was booked for a tour as the opening act for Bob Dylan. And yeah. the road manager came up to her once and said, Bob would like to see you now. Okay. So she goes into his <laughs> dressing room. He's got a red bandana over the light. So it like, you know, it's all red and, you know, muted colors. And they start right. having a conversation. And she mentioned something about Tangled Up in Blue and story songs. And Dylan says to her, I hate story songs. And she goes, wow. you hate story songs? What about Tangled Up in Blue? And Bob Dylan's response was, yeah, but the tenses change. And that was the end of the meeting. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. But you're right, on the album Real Live, the lyrics yes. are completely different. Yes, what a wonderful exactly. Thing. What a wonderful thing. So towards the end of every episode with every guest we've had, um, we ask some what we call inside the actor's studio questions. The and, canned oh, I'm questions, to, oh, I'm excited about Yes, 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 yes. Um, I, uh, to keep it equitable, we ask the same questions. So, um, so one of the things, first, first I'd learned to ask this, if you could travel in time, would you? That's the first question. I think the good old days are right now. Make the best of your really? life. Make the best of your life right now. Now that's my answer, and I don't want to travel back in time. But if you want to pursue this, I will tell you the exact night and place that would travel back in time. So the reason why I now ask if somebody would travel in time is that you say, um, when traveling in time, would you go forwards or backwards? Somebody answered, I wouldn't. I said, you wouldn't what? They said, I wouldn't travel in time. I want to be in the now. So I've learned to now ask if you would do it all. But if you would be open to the concept, I'm now wildly curious of your answer. March 3rd, which happens to be my partner Lily's birthday, but not her birthday. Yes. March 3rd, 1940, the Forest Theater in New York City. Pete Seeger, Woody Guthrie, uh, Alan Lomax, Lead Belly. Incredible. It was this The Grapes of Wrath evening. And they gathered yeah. in support of John Steinbeck and in support of the workers' causes. But it was the night, yeah. it was the night that Pete Seeger met Woody Guthrie, that Alan Lomax met wow. Woody Guthrie. To me, it's the big bang of folk music, and I'd I'd go there. Wow, that's a fantastic answer. Wow, that that's amazing. So that's 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 great. I mean, you have a pin down to a date. You know, a lot <laughs> of people have it down, like I go to this decade, I go to that's amazing. Um, if you could, <clears throat> I mean, given your, you watch it now, but I'll ask it anyways, because I said I'd be equitable. Um, if you could uh, have one sort of cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? Whether it be Italian, Greek, Chinese, Mediterranean, if you had to choose one, what would it be? That's a mean question. I know. Wow. I mean, I love Korean. I love Greek. I love, wow. Yes. I but if you had it stick with you know what one let me only. let me let me put a different hat on for a second cuz i'm thinking of myself now i i I've, I've so successfully changed to this other style of eating that i'm yeah. not even thinking about if i was before i'd say italian with giant loaves of bread to dip in the sauce <laughs> yes absolutely you're yeah. now you're singing my song but i'm trying to learn from you um yeah. if you if uh who would you say 
are the the most uh, the three most influential people in your life, whether it be family, friends, artists, you know, public figures. Uh, who would you say the top three would be at this point? Looking back, um, I'm going to stick with artists because it makes life easier for me. Yeah, um, and and I'm going to stick with nationally known artists because the okay. local music scene has been so influential <clears throat> to me. That so many people are influential to me as writers, etc. So I'm going to stick sure. with musicians. Woody Guthrie. Who I mentioned before, wow. March 30, 40. Uh, Bob Dylan, Town yeah. Tanzania. That's fantastic. Those are great answers. I love that figure, by the way. Um, I love Woody. So I will say now. Let's point question. out. Let's point out so people know if they don't know. Woody was not necessarily a very good person, but he was still a no? huge inspiration. He was terrible to his families, etc. But yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. So I'm going to say my final question until after your final song. So if you want to take it away again, that'd be fantastic. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Please. That, that song I just did for you, Tattooed on My Wrist, that was a debut. That's the first time that song has ever been played for anyone other than the tape I sent into the song group. Do you want another of those or do you want an older song? I, I would love to hear anything you would share with us because what you just played was phenomenal. It's a scoop. Have, we finally have, have a scoop. To, you have to pick a brand okay. new song debut for the first time love, ever or an old song. I would love to have another scoop of a new song. Right. You'll get another scoop. This okay, song's this a little older. This song's a little older. And when I say a little older, I mean like literally a couple weeks. But it's never been performed before. So. so the song you played before and the song you're about to play, are these songs going to be on your new album? Neither one of them. Um, no, they're actually, okay. They're actually too new. Um, oh, wow. I've, I've recorded the other ones already, and I've already selected the three for this last session I'm going <clears> in for. So this yeah. next song, though, um, Flashbulb Memories was the prompt. And... Uh, yeah. In the final verse, I talk about my brother-in-law. He's in trouble. He's since passed. Um, yeah. So I'm going to send this song out Sorry. to him. Got to find uh, the first sheet of it. One second. Okay. This is where your editing comes in really handy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So let me see if I'm in tune. Flashbulb memories. Okay, here we go. Michael Lack. I was born in 1964, you can see it all on film. Flashbulb memories of a once young man, the face is bright but the background dim. In the 80s I worked in a photo store, but so what, didn't you? Flashbulb memories of swingers parties where they did what you do not do. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. My kids, they went to a magnet school, so many races, so many skins. Flashbulb memories of a world in change, of a planet in mid-spin. Now we go straight to digital talk on our phone and we take a shot. 
Flash for memories between texts and posts. Let's feel lucky for what we've got. It all fits away so fast. Silver on paper, paper in fire. It all fits away so fast. Silver on paper, paper in fire. My brother-in-law, he's in trouble. He won't make it out alive. Flashbulb memories of broken heroes, such sweet hope in his daughter's eyes. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. It all burns away so fast, silver on paper, paper in fire. That was fantastic. That, I, I love the first one. I'm in love with the second one. Oh, thank you. I, I oh, really that appreciate is so the good. Oh, Mike, so I have to ask the final question we ask anybody uh, that's been on. What do you hope to be remembered for? And hopefully it's not for 200 years, but what, what do you hope to be remembered <laughs> for? My daughter just got engaged. My son is a filmmaker. Thank you. They're yes. going to be 29 in October of this year. My son is a yeah, filmmaker. Very, very My daughter's a music teacher. Kid. Yep. I want to be remembered by them, and I wish I could be around. I'll be around for a while. I'm not ready to go yet. Thank God. But to Good. see the lives they'll continue to touch. That's a beautiful answer. Wow, that's a beautiful answer. I just want to thank you for taking the time tonight to be with, I want to say us, because usually I'm used to saying us, but Katie's not here, <laughs> but she'll listen. Um, but this has been, for me, this has been the highlight. I, I loved all our guests. I love all our guests coming, but I have a personal just highlight of uh, this podcast for you to do this with us, me. So thank you. This has felt very special. I want to thank you as well. Thank you.